Open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Colossians as we continue our study, actually coming almost down to the wire, down near the end of this book, which has been, I trust, a delightful study for us over the past more than a year. Colossians chapter 4. And now as Paul draws near to the end of this letter, before some final greetings, he gives some uh, what I would call miscellaneous exhortations. And we saw in chapter 4, exhortation regarding prayer, devote yourself to prayer. And then we come now in verses 5 and 6 to exhortations regarding our relationship to the world. Hmm. That's where we were this morning. Well, it's a little different. It's not the things in the world, but it's the people in the world. And so let's read now Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Now, as we've been doing, as we've been going through this last part of the letter, we find a lot of parallels in the letter to the Ephesians. So I'd like to read a couple of passages there. They're not consecutive, but uh, the uh, this teaching is echoed in the letter to the Ephesians. Chapter 5, first of all, verses 15 and 16. Therefore, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 15, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. And then back in chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Well, let's pray now and ask that God would help us not only to understand what was written in these ancient documents, but that these ancient documents, as the Word of God, would speak to each of our hearts tonight. Let's ask that from our great King. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you have spoken that you spoke through the apostles and prophets, through the prophets of the Old Testament in various ways and times, but you have now spoken through your Son and through his apostles. That word of your Son is clarified and expanded and expounded to us and applied to our lives. We ask now that as we take up these final exhortations of the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, that these exhortations would ring in our hearts, would resonate, and would find not merely an echo of an agreement or assent, but that they would find direction to our paths and our steps and our words day by day. We ask that help. Through Jesus, our Savior, by your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, this past Wednesday, if you were at the prayer meeting or if you tuned in online, you may remember that we had a request from two of our brethren who were going out to share the gospel and a sidewalk evangelism opportunity. And they asked for prayer for three W's. You remember those W's? 
what were they? Well, I don't know if I've got the order quite right, but I do know I have the words right. They were for words, for winsomeness, and for wisdom as they tried to address people in their various needs. Well, as we come to Colossians chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6, we have, in a sense, at least two W's. And and I'm going to read a more literal translation. The New King James is actually better here. It says in verse 5, Walk in wisdom. So the first W is your walk. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, making the most of the opportunity. And then, verse 6, even the New King James doesn't get it quite literally, but literally it is, your word with grace, always, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to respond or to answer each person. So, your walk and your word, two W's. But I'm going to insert an O. And so, what's your outline for this passage? Wow. Okay? That ought to be easy to remember. Wow! What an outline. With the first W, walk. That's what we have in verse 5. Walk in wisdom. And then there's an O. Opportunity. Uh, and... and my version gives a paraphrase there in verse 5. The literal would be redeeming the time. But I think this translation is a bit of a paraphrase, but I think it gets it right. Making the most or seizing or, or buying back or taking the opportunity. So, oh, opportunity. And then the second or W, the third point, would be word. Your word with grace. And so... You know what? W-O-W. Think we can get all that tonight? I don't. And so we're going to just go, whoa, (laughs) and stop. All right? So W-O this evening. First of all, then your walk, and then your opportunities. And Lord willing, uh, when we come back again to this topic, your word, and that's verse 6, which is uh, a, a bit of a bite to chew. But so we'll take two verses, one at a time, your wor- your walk and your opportunity, verse 4, and then your word next time, Lord willing. And so what about your walk? Well, as you look at your walk, what are we talking about here, your walk? Well, that's your daily conduct. Whether you walk or whether you ride a bicycle or whether you drive a car or whether you take a bus, your walk is how you live every day. That's what it's talking about. Uh, the Christian man or woman, young or old, is given an imperative here, walk in wisdom. It's an imperative voice. And that means it's a command. Not just that you walk and get exercise and have a smart watch that counts your steps. Uh, That's not what it's talking about. It says, live how in wisdom. Your daily conduct. And there's abundant instruction in the Word of God for how we ought to live as Christians. Just take as one example, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. After giving that doctrinal section of this letter, Ephesians 1, 2, 3, in chapter 4, he comes to the practical section of the letter, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Ephesians 4, 1, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the 
calling with which you have been called. Your walk is important, brother and sister. How you live every day is vital to your testimony, to your, to your walk with God, to your relationship with God. It's not a matter of indifference how you live. If you say you're a Christian, you say you trust in Jesus, I'm from Missouri, show me. Right? Isn't that the show me state? Well, show me that you are a Christian by how you Walk. Walk worthy. And of course, again, we could uh, take a whole nother sub-series on how you ought to walk. And he goes on in Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Walk like this. You say you're a Christian. Let's see it in how you live day by day. Ephesians 4, 17. Again, this is uh, repeated again and again in, in these letters, in Paul's epistles, in the instruction of our Lord and Savior. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord. So it's not just Paul's personal opinion. That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Well, that's the world that we heard about this morning. And if you weren't here this morning or you didn't tune in, we considered in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If you're a Christian, you're not living like that any longer. You're no longer living, walking as the Gentiles walk. You may look like, I mean, I look at you, I don't look see a bunch of weirdos, you know, dressed in outlandish outfits. We look like a lot of other people out there, except probably most people aren't wearing uh, coats and ties or uh, dressing neatly on this day. They're out in their shorts and t-shirts out in the sun, sadly. Yeah, so, but but on, my point is, we look like other people. We don't look like we're from Mars, but we're different. Walk no longer like the Gentiles. It ought to be evident in the way you live that you belong to Christ. And so when Paul now comes in the Colossian letter to talk about how we relate not to the things of the world, but to the people in the world, he tells them your daily conduct ought to be different. And especially now he's dealing with your daily conduct as it bumps into the people around you. How are you going to relate to them? How are you going to deal with them? What are you going to show them by your daily conduct? Again, Colossians 4, walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Outsiders. Now, as we look at this word outsiders... Again, it's especially this aspect of your walk that bumps into other people outside the church. Uh, We have to recognize that the Bible divides people into two categories. To use the language here, they're insiders and outsiders. 
There are those who are in and those who are out. And that's just a fact. And you may not like it. You might think, you know, well, you're drawing a circle and, and you're leaving me outside. Hmm. Uh, it's not that we're a little clique and we're just trying to say, well, we're, we've got our little group and you don't belong. That's not what we're about. Because we would love if all the outsiders became insiders. And so we, we look at this with open arms, not with, hmm, you know, not, not a push away, but an invitation. But it's just a fact of life. There are those who are inside and those who are outside. Now, in Noah's day, that was pretty clear. In Noah's day, when the rain started to fall, or actually before the rain started to fall, and all of those animals and Noah and his family, his three sons and their wives and his wife, the eight people and all the animals, they got in the ark. You know, when the rain falls and the waters rise, whether you're inside or outside. There's a distinction that God draws between people inside and outside. This is on the pages of the New Testament everywhere. Just for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in a case of church discipline. How can you have church discipline? How can you deal with sin in a congregation if there's no inside and outside? It doesn't make sense. This is one of the passages, by the way, that uh, is used to show that the Bible teaches a definite membership of churches. And here we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's language with regard to that uh, case of gross immorality. Uh, such a kind, he said, that did not even exist among the Gentiles. It was so bad. He says about this case, verse 11, But actually I wrote you not to associate with any so-called brother, if he should be an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Why? Because their walk is demonstrating that they're outsiders. And he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders, those who never claim to be inside? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from inside and put him back outside where he belongs. All right, that's what the passage is about. There are those who are inside. There are those who are Christians who belong in the church, rightly so. And there are those who are outside, who are not converted, not saved, not believers, not made new creatures in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 10. Again, just showing that this distinction among men is biblical. It's just, uh, you know, we, don't, we talk about racism and dividing people up by the way they look. That's not what we do. That's not what we should do, rather. And it happens. We divide people up. Insiders, outsiders. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 30 through 36. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. And so we're not making a distinction that says, well, we, it's just us, you know, our little group here. Uh, I could say it very nicely in Tagalog, but you wouldn't understand. 
there's, there's, a, some, there's some expressions that are just better in other languages, but here we're stuck with English. And so there's us guys and those who are outside. That's what the Bible talks about. And we would love that the whole world were inside. That's what we pray for. That's why we preach the gospel on street corners, wherever we have opportunity. Because we want to see those of you, and, and I'm, I look at the camera, those of you online, those of you in this room, in the room over there, in the gym, wherever you may be, we would love to have you be one of us. As Moses said to his brother-in-law in, back in the book of Numbers, come with us and we will do you good. Not us, really, but our Savior will do you good. Come with us. Join our band of brothers. And so, how do we now treat those who are outside? We don't push them away. We don't say, well, I don't love the world, so get out of here. Take a walk. That's not how we deal with people who are outside. We walk in wisdom toward them. Now, not that we're careless with one another that doesn't give us license to treat each other in a nasty way uh, or in a careless way, but especially with outsiders, we need to be wise. Why is that important? Because to be honest with you, the world doesn't know anything about Christianity these days. They don't know anything about the Bible except what they see in you. They don't read the Bible, they read your lives. Ignorance of the Bible is astounding. You, know, you, you read, for example, Tom Sawyer. This was written 150 or so years ago. And uh, Tom was there in Sunday school, and uh, he was asked, name two of the apostles. And he answered, David and Goliath, much to the chagrin of his Sunday school teacher. Well, ignorance. You say he's just a boy. He didn't study. There's ignorance of the Bible. What do people know about the Bible? They know what they see in your life. As William Hendrickson put it in his comments on this verse, it is as if the apostle were saying, behave wisely toward outsiders, always bearing in mind that though few men read the sacred scrolls, all men read you. All men read you. You are the billboard advertising Christianity to the world. Walk in wisdom, therefore, toward those who are outside, toward those who are looking in, towards those who are observing your life. Let me put it to you this way, as a question. What if all that outsiders knew about Christianity was what they saw in you? Stop and think. All they knew about Jesus Christ and his gospel, never read the Bible, was what they saw in your life. In the office, in the neighborhood, in the shopping center, there in the grocery store, whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, all these things, you know, they, ah, I'm tired of this. But that's the world we live in. 
What does the world see about Christianity in you? Grumbling? Hateful? Hating one another? Devouring one another? What does the world see? Does the world see graciousness? Does the world see kindness? Does the world see a difference? Does the world see walking carefully, wisely? Not just a a, a strict morality, we don't do this, we don't do that, that we heard about this morning. But do they see the law of kindness is on your lips? What does the world read about Christianity. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Another excellent verse when it comes to how we relate to outsiders. And here I think this version, the New American Standard, gets it, uh, puts it very well. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. I preached through uh, Peter, wow, about 30 years ago. And uh, I came to this verse and it just... it resonated and it stuck with me. First Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, remember, the world doesn't love you. Why? Because you love Christ. And the world has a thing against Jesus. They slander you as evildoers. They may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. They will have force from their lips whether they like it or not. When the day comes, the day of judgment, the day of visitation, force from their lips. He was right. And all those bad things I said about him, they weren't true. He was a good guy. Keep your behavior excellent. As the world watches you, what do they see? What picture do they get of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What effect does it have? Is it something that I can say, what he got, I want. Even if he's strict about some things, even if he doesn't go to parties, even if I see such light and such a change, such good stuff, such such blessing in him. That's what I want. His family... They're not perfect, but they love each other. My family, whoa, what a mess. I want what he's got. Is that going to be the conclusion as they look at your life? And so, what does he say then as a, 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 with regard to our walk? Well, how then should we walk in such a way that this is going to be the response? He says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward those outsiders. Be careful how you, how you go as you rub shoulders, as you bump elbows with the world. Now, what kind of wisdom? Well, let me just give you a few things. Again, that would be a whole other series of sermons. But let me just give you a few tips, a few hints that you can uh, look at more and more. Putting Colossians 4.5 together with Ephesians 5.15. Be careful how you walk not as unwise men, but as wise. Your walk is to be wise, not foolish. Well, what's that look like? Well, first of all, you don't imitate the world. Should go without saying, but we need to say it. 
We are not concerned to imitate the world. We do not love the world. We heard this morning or the things in the world. We're not going to be motivated by the same things. Money, stuff, pleasure, power. What are the driving forces of the world? What gets them going? We're not the same way. Don't imitate the world. Your goal is to please the one who bought you out of death into life. To give into the world brings dishonor to your king. David's sin with Bathsheba, grievous, gave opportunity to the enemies of God to blaspheme. That's what Nathan the prophet said to him. By this deed you have given occasions to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. When a Christian sins and the world is watching and waiting for you to do that, they say, aha, I said it. I told you, there's no difference. They're just like us. They lap it up. Brethren, be wise. Don't imitate the world. Paul told the Jews who did not practice what they preached in Romans 2.24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Walk wisely. Don't be like the world. Avoid their temptations. Stand firm. Remember that the pastors may not see you. Your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad may not see you. But the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. If you would be embarrassed to do that while your husband, wife, mom, dad, or son or daughter were watching, you're going to do it with God watching? Do not imitate the world. No compromise with the world, furthermore. Don't compromise with the world if you're going to walk wisely in the world. Don't go along with the world's philosophy or the world's ways. We heard about our brethren in Afghanistan who are uh, tempted to just, you know, let's go along. I don't want to get my head chopped off. So I'll just, you know, I'll just pretend that I'm a Muslim when I'm really not. That's, That's a real temptation. Now, as I prepared this message, I wasn't thinking about Afghanistan. God's providence, that came up just earlier, but his commentaries I read, for example, mentioned in the days of the early church that there were those who were reported to have offered incense to the emperor to save their neck. It's just a little incense. I mean, I don't really believe that he's God. I'll just offer this incense. And then later they were convicted that they had compromised their faith by offering incense, throwing incense in the fire. And they went back to the authorities and said, I am a Christian. I don't want to worship that emperor. Take this hand that offered that incense. Cut it off. Or if you're going to burn me, burn me. I'm not going to worship your emperor. Like Thomas Cranmer, who gave in to the authorities back in the Reformation in England. And he signed a recantation of his Christian faith. And then later, he came to his senses and said, What have I done? I've turned my back on my Savior for the sake of these people? 
I feared those who can kill the body. And I haven't feared the one who has control of body and soul in the day of judgment. And Thomas Cranmer then recanted his recantation. And when he was put in the fire, he took that hand that had signed and he thrust it in the flames so that it would be burned first of all. Don't compromise with the world. Nail your flag to the mast. Never surrender. Stand up for Jesus. Walk in wisdom. And walk in such a way that brings glory to the master, whether you live or die. That your motivating factor in life is not to get more stuff, not to have more fun. But your motivating factor, what makes you tick is this. I want to get glory to my Savior. He loved me and washed me from my sin with his blood. I want to glorify him. I want to honor him whether I live or die. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, 19 through 21. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Walk in wisdom. No compromise, but rather walking so that you can give glory to God. And so that is a shining testimony. That's walking wisely. Humility, gentleness, patience, all those characteristics that we studied earlier in the book of Colossians in chapter 3. Walk wisely. And so, brethren, there's the first thing in this passage, going back to Colossians 3 and verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Okay, that's the W. Now the O. Whoa. What's the O? Making the most of the opportunity, or literally redeeming the time. Buy back the time. Now, commentators, you know, toy with this. What, what does Paul mean, buy back the time? And, and some of them say, well, he's, he's talking about buying it back from the world or from the devil uh, so that that time which you used to spend in the world, now you're going to take that time and you're going to use it for God. Well, that's probably the point in Ephesians chapter uh, 5 that we read earlier, that you are to make the most of the time, redeem the time, uh, for the days are evil. We're in an evil world. Don't use your time for evil. Buy it back from the world. Use it for God. But I think here in this context, because especially he's talking about your relationship to those who are outside, I think this, this version gets it right when it paraphrases, and that's what it is, and says, making the most of the opportunity. Because the word time here doesn't just mean, you know, time, tick-tock, tick-tock, count the minutes. But it's time in, in the sense of a special time. Uh, there are different words for time in Greek, so they tell me. But here, 
This is that word that can also refer to special points in time. Make the most. Redeem that opportunity. That special time that God has given you. And so in the context of walking wisely with outsiders looking on, this word kairos says, take this time back from carelessness, yes, from worldliness, yes, but take it now and seize it. Carpe diem. Sound familiar, TCS people? Seize the day and use it for God. Seize the opportunity that you have when you bump into people in the world. Things that come along, uh, come down the pipe, so to speak, come your way every single day. Now, maybe you're locked up at home, and I look at the camera uh, with this, this infection situation. You say, I don't want to go outside. But still, there are people who deliver the groceries to your door. There are people that you run into. There are people in your own home. Take the opportunities that God gives you. And, and just stop and think about them, all right? Review yesterday. Who did you bump into yesterday? Well... There I was at home, preparing message up in the study. And so, who did I bump into? Well, I bumped into Carol. She's not outside, she's inside. I bumped into Mrs. Dixon. Uh, she's inside, but you know, you don't, there's not much meaningful conversation there. And Inga, who is our caregiver, oh, there's every day an opportunity. And then I hear a voice at the door. Hello there. It's a nephew coming to visit. Oh, here I am studying away. I could say, well, you know, I'm busy. Ah, this is an opportunity. What am I preaching about? Seize the opportunity. Make the most. Went downstairs. Didn't have gospel opportunity, but you know, you try to show kindness. You walk wisely. You lay a foundation. You seek for that time when it is right to bring the next verse, the word. And so, seize the opportunities with office mates. And you're working online, but you have Zoom meetings with fellow workers in the shop, with uh, family members, with those who are uh, delivering groceries, with there in the grocery store when you make your run. Seize the opportunity. God has given them to you. Walk in wisdom toward those outsiders. Okay, well, my wise thing is to keep away. No, no, no. God has put them there. What is he there for? Well, you're there for a witness. You shall be my witnesses. In Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. That's you. Not just missionaries. That's you. You shall be my witnesses. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Who said that? Your Lord Jesus. Let your light shine. So instead of growling and complaining and fault-finding and bickering and, and all of those things that, that are so much we have to confess a part of our daily speech, 
Let your light shine. What does the world see of you? In your posts on Facebook, in your interaction, let your light shine. Make the most of the opportunity. And so there we have it tonight, W-O. And we'll come back to the last W, Lord willing, next time. Your speech, your word, your word with grace. Salty speech. Well, we'll come back to that. So put your bookmark there. And maybe meditate on it ahead of time so that when we come back to it, you're ready. But what do we learn tonight? Here's the main point. The main point is this. Your life is not in a vacuum. You are not an island. Your life is lived in a goldfish bowl. I remember I told a a friend of mine in high school, this is going way back, I was out of high school and met this friend and uh, told her that, you know, I was considering becoming a pastor. And she said to me, what? That's life in a glass bowl. Everybody's going to be looking at everything you do. It's not just for pastors. Let your light shine. Make your behavior, keep your behavior excellent. Why? Because the Gentiles, and the word that Peter uses there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, is a word that means scrutinizing. The Gentiles are scrutinizing you. Yeah? You may not realize it. You say you're a Christian. They file that away. Huh, Christian. Okay, I'm going to watch that one. Let's just wait. I'm going to show them they're just like everybody else. No, in a way, there's remaining sin. Yes, we're going to fall. What do you do when you fall in front of a worldling? Blow it off? (laughs) Well, nobody's perfect. Don't blow it off. Deal with your sin. Blow them away (laughs) when you ask their forgiveness. And so, that's the main point. What are you going to take home? The world's watching me. What am I showing them? Walk in wisdom. Walk excellently. Give to God a sacrifice of praise every day of a living sacrifice of your life. Even now, as we sit in church, your kids, you know, they watch you. Invariably. What are you showing them? And how you worship? Oh, here we go again. Rolls eyes. Oh, at him again. What are you showing them? As you go home, what are you showing them? Keep your behavior excellent. And then watch for the opportunities. That's not the main point, but it's the second point. It's a good point. Make the most. Watch out. Those people you run into, is that just chance? Did you bump into that person in the grocery store? No. Watch for the opportunities. God's serving them up to you, as it were, on a platter. Here, this is for you. An opportunity. Take it. Make the most of it. 
show the world. And come next time, Lord willing, speak to the world with grace. But then the last thing, maybe somebody says, oh, where's the gospel in that sermon? You know, here it is all about how you walk. Where's Jesus in this? Well, friend, maybe you're asking that question. Let me answer it. Here's Jesus. What makes us different is Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus who loved us and washed us from our sin. It's Jesus who took us out of the miry clay, plucked us because we were like you. We were lost. We were filthy. We did stuff you wouldn't even dream of doing, maybe. God changed us. It's grace. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that took us from outside and brought us inside. It's he who makes us to differ. Now, what he did for us, and we're not yet perfect. We will be. We're not yet perfect. But we're different. And what he did for us, young person here this morning, old person, whoever you may be, what he did for us, he can do for you. Nothing is too difficult for him. Your case is not impossible, no matter what you've done. Turn, repent, confess, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, yes, you, shall be saved. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we come to you with thankfulness, for we were once also foolish and deluded, deceived and deceiving others. And in mercy you opened our eyes, opened our hearts to receive the Savior, through the gospel, which some in your mercy you caused to cross our path, whether it was parents, whether it was a school friend, whether it was a neighbor or someone we just met in the grocery store, you had mercy on us. And now as we live in this sin-cursed generation, as we rub shoulders with those who are outside, we ask that you would use us, use our light, may it shine brightly, that this sin-cursed world, this wicked, perverse generation that we live with here in New Jersey, may see the light. Ask us for a reason of the hope in us. Be, that we would have an opportunity to speak to them of our Savior. And may we see done in our day what you've done in past generations. That you turned the world upside down. That there was a great awakening. And many turned from darkness to light, from serving dead idols to serving the living and true God. For your own glory, do it. For your own glory, use us that we may shine brightly each one, as we hear this sermon, instead of even grumbling and complaining, perhaps, about the sermon, that we would take the message to heart, as you intended, that you would use us as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of this sin-cursed world.
We ask through Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen.